Morning, everyone. I thought I'd just um, break protocol because, you know, I am scared of heights. It's just far too high up there. And I just feel like I need to be close to you. But look at those empty rows. Jesus still loves you. Um, <laughs> what a wonderful cover. Thanks, Robin. He rang me up and he said, do you know about this, this, this song? And I said, Robin, how old am I? <laughs> thanks, thanks, team. Great to be with you. Um, I feel summer is really our second church home for Lisa and I. Um, we've got so many friends here and it's just great to be back. I preached a few months ago and I shared a little bit of my story. But this morning I'm... In, particularly excited about this topic, Love Mondays, and, and that's because it ties really to my story um, in terms of um, how thinking about work has really kind of formed, a, you know, kind of been a, been a bit of a journey for me and a bit of an um, interesting journey at that. So just quickly, I worked for a number of churches for a number of years, AOG, Elam, Baptist, Brethren, had a burn of the Anglicans even, so I've got a very fruit salad theology. Um, <laughs> And, uh, but I, I sensed one day um, that I was being called to go, um, go off to law school, retrain, and become a lawyer. And um, I'll never forget the day I had my law part two books on the desk at the, the church I was working at the time. I was working at Green Lane Christian Centre at the time. And I'll never forget, Lance came and he said, Simon, I can't believe you're going off to law school and you're going to leave the ministry. And I said, Lance... I'm not leaving the ministry. I believe, I'm hoping, that God could actually birth a new ministry through me in the practice of law. I said, Lance, you know my favorite quote. My favorite quote is John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, who said, the world is my parish. The world is my parish. And so I said to him, "Um, Lance, you need to just understand that actually I'm not bringing ministry to an end. I believe out there, Monday to Friday, God can give me a new ministry through the practice of law. And so I'm really passionate about this particular topic of Love Mondays because if you're like me, you spend a reasonable amount of time at work. These days I'm a partner at Gaysbird, which is a firm in town. And so I'm an employment lawyer, so I help people for a whole bunch of reasons who might not like Mondays, employees and employers. Um, And... One of my questions that I've really wrestled with was, God, if I leave working for the church, will you still value the work I do Monday to Friday, even if it's not for the church? Does the nature of the work I do change its value? Like if I'm no longer really doing a lot of preaching and teaching and being involved in pastoring and looking after people, do you still value the work I do if I was not doing that? And that's really my real challenge because I'll, and by the way, when I talk about work this morning, I'm talking about unpaid work, paid work. I'm talking about, you know, um, all the various vocations that make up, make up life, you know. Maybe tomorrow you're home with the, with the kids and that's your um, vocation. So I'm, when I talk about work and loving Mondays, I'm talking right across the broad stream. Or perhaps maybe you're, you're retired and you volunteer. I'm talking about voluntary work as well. And this idea that we don't really hear a lot of sermons in church about work, but if you're like me, you spend quite a bit of time at your work, at your vocation. Um, so it's really important, to, I think, for us to think about it as Christians. What does it mean to understand work and, and kind of have a biblical understanding of work, which is really what Love Mondays is all about. Um, and I shared last time I was here that I, I was speaking at a conference a couple of years ago in um, Australia about the Bible and schools litigation. I think I said last time we should pray for that case. It's going to trial next year. And, it's, and 
it's going to be interesting to see, you know, whether we can still open the Bible in state primary schools. But well, we still can. There's about 600 schools throughout New Zealand, which, 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 which run um, on a weekly basis. But I was over at a conference there, and, um, it, uh, and I felt inspired to start a Christian lawyers conference back here in, here in New Zealand. So for the last few years, I've been bringing, we've been bringing Christian lawyers together, lawyers and judges and academics. There's lots of kind of Christian lawyers through the ranks. And our theme this year for our conference was lawyers as ambassadors for Christ and thinking about what does it mean to actually follow Christ through the practice of law. And my kind of thinking about that is what does it actually mean to follow Christ, whether you're a car mechanic, an accountant, an insurance broker, whatever your job looks like, what does it mean to follow Christ in and through your work, through um, your daily Monday to Friday job. So I'm going to give you four reasons this morning why you can leap out of bed with joy on Monday morning. Four reasons to leap out of bed with joy on Monday morning. And my first reason, there's a whole lot of reasons, actually I've got a lot more to say, but um, time is limited. So I'll give you one of the four reasons. The first one is work is God's idea. Work is God's idea. In the opening chapters of Genesis, we see God at work, right? God speaks the oceans into existence. He speaks the mountains. Just through the, the power of his spoken word, he speaks creation into existence. And then the Bible says in Genesis 2.15 that the Lord God took the man and put him to work in the garden. It's amazing to think that the same Hebrew word for work, which is milkar, God at work, that same Hebrew word is used to describe human beings at work in Genesis 2.15. Work was not beneath God. Work is not a necessary evil. It's so easy to kind of think, ah, oh, Mondays, you know, back to work, and, and see it as kind of just a, another way to, you know, better pay the, got to pay the mortgage, hefty mortgages in Auckland, um, and, and really kind of see work from this perspective. But I want to challenge us this morning and encourage us to start thinking biblically about work. Work can be a form of worship. Work can be a form of worship. Timothy Keller, in his brilliant book, Every Good Endeavor, writes, It is wholly unexpected that the extraordinary activity involved in creating heaven and earth should be so described. But in the beginning, God worked. Work was not a necessary evil that came into the picture or something human beings were created to do, but that was beneath God. No, God worked for the sheer joy of it. Work could not have had a more exalted inauguration. Think about this, Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him to work in the garden, to manage the resources in the garden, to be a wise steward of the resources in the garden. And that happened prior to the fall. It, it was God's perfect design for human beings that we would work. Work was part of God's plan for what we would do. Um, human beings would work in partnership with God, managing the resources, being good stewards of the wise resources God has blessed us with. Work was God's idea, and it was part of God's perfect design for human beings. And so we can start to take a different view of what actually work is really fundamentally all about. Secondly, in a variety of ways, God is at work in our world today through our work. God is at work in our world today through our work. You see, it's easy to think of work as, well, you know, it's my job, I get a paycheck, pay the mortgage, pay the bills, and so on. But imagine if just for a brief moment you stood back and thought about the, the amazing and variety of ways God is actually at work in our world today through our work, through our jobs. 
um, Paul Stevens, Professor Paul Stevens, um, up at Regent College there in Vancouver, um, writes a lot about the theology of work. And he writes, this, this is brilliant, he writes, As I read the Bible, I find God at work. Designing, beautifying, nurturing, imagining, embellishing, leading, crafting, teaching, guiding, forming, disciplining, directing, shaping, warning, unifying, sustaining, showing outcomes, saving, organizing, destroying, mediating, separating, helping, rescuing, speaking, healing, mending, communicating, feeding, listening, completing, overcoming, judging, instructing, bringing rest, and comforting. All the variety of ways God is at work through our work. Because God provides for the needs of human beings through our work. God provides for the needs of human beings through our work. You see, it's so easy to distinguish between different types of work. For example, I'm heavily involved with a particular ministry which involves chaplains going into hospitals, and it's an amazing ministry, and primarily it's ordained ministers who are chaplains, but not always, so Anglican, um, Presbyterian ministers, and so on. And it's easy to think of this... The, the ministry of chaplains, which is amazing out there in the hospitals, and see that as, well, that's, that's ministry. That's God's, God's work. But forget that the software developer who's working busily away on, the, on, on developing the system that helps doctors and nurses you know, record patient notes, that's not, that's not ministry. That's not God at work. But actually, God values both types of work, which is encouraging to know. It's a great, I think I was, one, I was reflecting on this as the most kind of, the best kind of comparison I can give to understand that God values, not just the, God values all work. God values all work. And more than that, he actually, all work can be a form of worship. All work can be a form of worship, not because of the nature of the work, but because the motive of the worker. See, it's not the nature of work that says, well, that's spiritual work and that's not spiritual work. Saying, God, all of this work I do, I do it for you. Because if I am faithful in my vocation, if I am faithful in my vocation, then human beings will be served, their needs will be met, and human life will flourish on earth, which is God's intention. That human life flourishes on earth if we are all faithful to our vocations, faithful to our work. Uh, I love First Peter. He writes, be holy in all you do. What does it mean to be holy at work? Or well, 1 Corinthians 10, 30, 31, you know, whatever you do, Paul writes, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. What does it mean to practice law for the glory of God? What does it mean to serve customers by fixing their cars as a car mechanic for the glory of God? Or to complete those accounts payable Data entry type of work that people do. So in a variety of ways, God is at work in our world today through our work, serving human beings, meeting their needs, and helping human life flourish on earth. Third point, the purpose of work is set out in the opening chapters of Genesis. I love the opening chapters of um, Genesis. Genesis chapter, uh, chapter 1 verses 27 to 31. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing 
plant throughout the earth and all fruit trees for your food. And I've given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that is life. And this is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was good, and evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. And on the seventh day, God rested and finished his work of creation. God blessed the seventh day, and he declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. The purpose of work is to manage resources in a way that glorifies God. You think about it. The economy is essentially how we manage resources. We go to work every day to make our contribution to the economy. God is deeply interested in how resources are managed. So the question for Christians at the workplace is, how do we manage resources? Starting with the the framework of Psalm 24.1, which says the earth is the Lord's and everything there in it. How do we manage resources starting with the idea that God is the source of everything? As Christians, how do we manage resources through our jobs in a way that makes sure everybody has their fair share in terms of the just distribution of resources? God is deeply interested in how we manage resources. The purpose of work is to manage resources in a way that recognizes God as the source of everything. Secondly, the purpose of work is to manage people in a way that, um, that reflects the image of God in that person that is aware of the image of God in that person. You see, you might be here today and you're a team leader. Maybe you work for a government ministry. Maybe you work for an insurance broker and you've got a team. Maybe you work in a call center and you've got a team. How, imagine if you went to work tomorrow and saw all the people in your team as made in God's image. How would that change the way you approach them from a management perspective? So God created human beings in his image. And so when I go to work tomorrow, how, what does it mean to manage people? In re- but reflecting is a first principle, they're made in God's image. People are hard to work with, though. I'm an employment lawyer, so I understand that. You know, and I'm, and I, and I'm, and I'm often thinking through this as a lawyer giving advice. What does it mean to... Actually, yes, there's a problem there. The, I act for employers and employees, and the employer client has come to see me, says, I just want to get rid of him. That's how you know, my clients will often speak. I just want to get rid of him, get rid of her. It's just a resource to be got rid of. And how do I actually guide them back to it's a person, not a resource? And somehow through my communication and my lens as a Christian to help them reflect on my starting position, which is actually their person made in God's image with particular skills and talents. And yeah, maybe they're not performing great at the moment, but how do we guide? So most of my employer clients don't know that I use the law in a way that brings them back to the true purpose of how we should treat people. I'm very manipulative with the law. <clears throat> the purpose of work, the third purpose is to manage ourselves in a way that honors God. There's lots of people helping professions, right? Like counseling and life coaches. Gosh, there's such an array of people helping professions. And, and that, that, how do we manage ourselves? The Sabbath principle is there in the, in the Bible, isn't it? You know, that, that rest. How, how do we work 
Yes, and then we have to, to rest as well. So the purpose of work is to manage resources in a way that remembers God is the source of everything and he wants the just distribution of resources. God is very passionate about the just distribution of resources. You don't have to read passages in, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and, and other passages in the Old Testament to realise that from the overflow of what the Israelites would collect from the harvest, they should leave room for the poor. The just distribution of resources. So what does that mean if you're a business owner? How should, how should you set the prices of goods? How should I set the fee for the client? Purely based on what the market allows me to set the fee on? Does it matter? Is God interested in any of that? And I want to say this morning that he is deeply interested in all of those points. God is here with us on Sunday, and he's with us out there on Monday, and he's deeply interested on, what, on how our faith interacts with Monday. So quiet. The second is, so the first point, the work, work is God's idea. I've just been working through my sub-points, by the way. You may have captured that, probably, maybe not. Secondly, the call to work is a holy calling. This is one of my favorite points of them all. In the year 1505, a 21-year-old man was walking home, and he was caught in a thunderstorm, and he prayed to God. He said, God, if you rescue me from a thunderstorm, I'll become a monk. And so he did. Martin Luther entered the monastery in 1505. And while he was in the monastery, we know the story of history. <clears throat> history tells us that Martin Luther, during his studies, realized that the church was in a deep, deep need of, of reformation. And so on October the 31st, 1517, Martin Luther walked up. He marched up to the church in Wittenberg in Germany. And on the front door, he nailed up his 91 thesis this famous document, the 91 Thesis, and his thesis was set, sets out a number of propositions. And of course, one of those propositions is fundamental to what Protestants believe today. We are saved by faith alone. We are not saved by our works. Martin Luther, if you like, split the church in two. Catholic and the Protestant Reformation was essentially birthed out of his famous 91 Thesis. But Martin Luther went further. Martin Luther said a lot of things in that 91 Thesis. He was quite a prickly monk. You know, he wasn't, he didn't have high levels of EQ. And um, he, but he was the first person to say, actually, you don't have an ordinary job. You only have a holy calling, a holy vocation. And he challenged the church. And he said, the works of monks and priests, however holy and arduous they may be, do not differ in the sight of God from the works of the rustic laborer in the field or the woman going about her household tasks. Every occupation, you don't just have a job. I'm not just a lawyer, lowly lawyer. You, you are not just a bus driver or you're not just an accountant or not just a plumber. It applies across every occupation, Martin Luther said. Has its own honor before God. Ordinary work is a divine vocation or calling. In our daily work, no matter how important or mundane, we serve God by serving our neighbor. If that doesn't get you out of bed, tomorrow morning, well, not tomorrow, because it's Labor Day. <laughs> so we're going to really love Monday tomorrow. I, and I've got to say, I used to really love Mondays when I was a pastor, because Monday was a day off. Um, bless you, Robin. Um, <clears throat> so um, I know you're going to be deeply interested in this. But in Luther's day, there was all sorts of jobs. These are the types of jobs people did in Luther's day. There was a blacksmith 
We don't have a lot of blacksmiths these days. Cabinet makers, we still have cabinet makers. Candle makers, not so much. We can turn on the power, but we still have those, you know, those funky people who do kind of crazy things with candles. Shoemakers, <laughs> coppers, bakers, milliners, printers. Recently, new occupation with the invention of the printing press. Tailors and wheelwrights. I think wheelwright is something similar to a mechanic. Interesting jobs in Martin Luther's day. That's the, the 16th century. And Luther's radical idea that these are not just jobs. They are holy, ordinary callings. Holy callings, sorry, not just ordinary jobs. And in the 21st century, we have a, a range of jobs. Accounts administrator, IT consultant, customer service rep in a call centre, plumbers, builders, electricians, accountants, teachers, car mechanics, bus drivers, sales reps, key account managers, CEOs, healthcare assistants, HR consultants, computer programmers, general managers, nurses, doctors, last and probably least, lawyers. The nature of work has changed, right? The nature of work has changed since Martin Luther's radical idea in the 95 Thesis. But the fundamental principle that Martin Luther was trying to kind of bring the church to, to bear on has not changed. We don't have an ordinary calling, we, uh, ordinary job, sorry. We have a holy calling, a divine calling from God, a holy vocation. Vocation, the root word for vocation, uh, the root Latin word for vocation is vocar, which means to call. To call. And it was John Calvin, one of the offsiders, Martin Luther, who said that all of us serve and love our neighbor as Christ called us to love our neighbor by faithful service at our vocation. And so the question is, well, why did, why did God decide to use human beings? God could have looked after the garden himself. God was more than capable of managing resources himself. But Martin Luther gives a whole bunch of reasons as to why God decides to use human beings in helping him manage resources and manage people. And the reason is, is because Martin Luther says is that God chooses to act through human beings. He has decided to use human beings as his agents out there in the world, managing resources, managing people in a way that glorifies him. And that is the purpose of work. Martin Luther said, our work is God's mask. Our work is God's mask. God is hidden behind our work, loving our neighbor through our work. Martin Luther said, God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does. So let me give you some practical examples. The car mechanic loves his neighbor by doing an excellent job to repair the car so that it's safe and fit to drive. The credit controller loves her neighbor by ensuring accounts are paid so that the company doesn't go out of business, resulting in people losing their jobs. The IT consultant loves his neighbor by working at the hospital, ensuring that issues with computers are resolved so that doctors and nurses can record patient notes, and this in turn serves patients. The contract truck driver, even working for Auckland Council, Picking up rubbish bins every week to ensure human beings can live in a healthy and safe environment. Imagine if you didn't actually have someone picking up rubbish. The team, <clears throat> the manager of a government contract, loves her neighbour by managing her team, managing each of her team members in a way that helps them flourish. All these beautiful ways we love our neighbour through our job. Thirdly, Work is the means by which God provides for the needs of human beings. Why do we go to work? I've come up with five E's. 
This one, earn, to earn a buck. Pay the bills, that's helpful. Secondly, engage. Work as a way to make a meaningful contribution to society. Granted. Thirdly, evangelist, to be a witness for Christ through our work. Good. Fourth, entrepreneur. You've got a business flair, you make money for various, and you're generous with, with, with that in terms of kingdom projects. And Martin Luther said all of these reasons, they're all valid reasons to go to work. But then Martin Luther came up with a fifth E, which starts not with E. God's economy. We contribute to God's economy through our work. Because when the disciples come up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray, and Jesus turns around with that very famous prayer, the Lord's Prayer, halfway through that prayer, Jesus said we should pray, give us today our daily bread. And Martin Luther says that it is through our work that God answers that prayer for human beings. Martin Luther wrote a brilliant exposition of, of, on Psalm 145, and Psalm 145 says, he satisfies the desires of every living thing. And Martin Luther said, God meets the needs of human beings. He satisfies the desires of every living thing through our work. Can I say this morning, if you forget everything else I'm going to say, can I tell you this morning, when work is discouraging and you think, what is, where is the meaning in what I actually do? Can I say that actually God values what you do. Your work has intrinsic value to God because it is through your work that he meets the needs of human beings and it is through your work that we can love our neighbour as Christ called us to. I shared this story last time, but that's what we do, right? I just keep on sharing the same stories over and over. Um, a senior barrister, he's a Queen's counsel, been practising law for 40 years, almost 40 years, came up to me at the end of one of the Christian lawyers' conferences and he said, Simon, no one has ever told me that God valued what I did as a lawyer. What a tragedy to do that for 40 years and not think God actually was actually interested in all of what you did. Like it's like Sunday's over there and Monday's over there and there's this huge, massive chasm. I think we have to go back to 450 years ago, back to the Reformation and bring Sunday and Monday back together again and say God actually has a purpose for us on Monday through our work. Thirdly, maybe fourthly, I've got so many points, and I actually wrote a book which I'll talk about it because I've got so much to say. Work is the opportunity for God's ministry through you. Now, if you're going, off to, if you're going to study at law school, there's one paper that I'd encourage you not to do. It's incredibly boring. It's called The Law of Capital Markets. And I'll never forget this. It's talk about shares and initial public offerings and all that. Boring. Anyway, I never forget on Tuesday mornings, my first lecture, it was eight o'clock in the morning. Um, and there's about 50, you know, law students, bleary eyed, sitting there waiting for the lecturer to come in. And um, this is a true story, by the way, and I'm a lawyer, so. Um, <laughs> and in walks, not a word of a lie, a Catholic priest. This is not a funeral. I mean, it felt like a funeral. It's the law of capital markets. But um, it's Tuesday morning at 8 o'clock, so it felt pretty, pretty depressing. But in walked this Catholic priest. And I'm talking about he had his black pants on, and he had his black shirt on, and he had his dog collar on. The full thing. And he walked in, and he got to the lectern, and he said, Good morning. My name is Peter Fitzsimons. I'm a priest at the Kyber Pass Parish. I'm a Catholic priest, but I'm also a commercial lawyer. And I'm here today to lecture you on the law of capital markets. 
And so for the rest of that semester, we got lectured by a Catholic priest. And you know what's wonderful about Peter Fitzsimons is this. He did not sit up in his office in Kyber Pass Road at his parish and think, sitting in his Catholic garb, well, I'm going to go and lecture down at law school soon. I better take off my Catholic, my shirt, my pants. I'm going to take all that off, and I'm going to put my jeans on and my shirt on and something casual and go down and lecture. No. He believed in the seamless integration of the secular with the sacred. I mean, it was the most powerful symbol. I mean, I, I don't remember much from law school except Peter Fitzsimons. And it was so good. Oh, thank you, Rebecca. I appreciate it. Can I tell you tomorrow morning, you're a priest at your workplace. Imagine if you were the point person. You're the person people go to with their spiritual needs. Imagine this Monday morning you woke up and said, I'm a priest at my workplace. He didn't have, he didn't believe that there is, you know, the sacred and, and Sunday is over there and, and the secular and what I do on Monday is over there. You are a priest at your workplace. I love this, Ephesians 4, 11 to 12. It talks about the purpose of the church. Why do we even come here on Sunday? Paul explains so beautifully in chapter Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, and he says, well, if, I, if I'm in Romans, that's not helpful. He says, now these are gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor, and the teacher. Their job is to equip God's people to do the work of ministry. It is not the job of the pastor to do the work of the ministry. It is your job and my job. It is the job of the five-fold office, pastor, teacher, prophet, evangelist, teacher. It is their job to equip us for the work of the ministry. You see, Sunday is the pit stop, but Monday to Friday is the Formula One. Imagine that tomorrow, if you walked into work believing that you had a dog collar on and a black shirt and you were the priest. Do people at work know that you're Christian? That's the first start. And do they know that from your behavior, from your words, from the way you manage them if you're a team leader, from the way you make decisions about where money should be spent in the company if you've got a leadership position in the, in the firm? Wayne Cordero wrote a, bro a great book called Doing Church as a Team. And in that book, he talks about you know, that word equip. You know, Ephesians 4, I said just before, right? Ephesians 4 says, the pastor, the teacher, the prophet, the evangelist, etc. The fivefold um, giftings um, God gave to the church. Their job is to equip the church. That word equip, that Greek word for equip, is the same Greek word used in Mark chapter 1, verses 17. And you might say to me, well, what's happening in Mark chapter 1, 17? James and John are sitting on the shores of Galilee, and the Bible says that they're sitting on the, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and they're mending their nets. That word mend is the same word used, that, that Greek word for mend, is the same word used for equip in Ephesians 4. They're mending their nets. The purpose of community, coming together and, and, and worshipping Christ and being in community with one another, through, this, through, through Sunday morning, we are equipped. Our lives are mended so that we can go out and fulfill the purpose God has for us for the rest of our week. They are they, they were mending their nets, equipping their nets, getting them ready so they could be used for fishing. So I wrote a booklet because I was keen to 
I saw myself as, as um, wanting to reach out to my clients. I wrote a book called In Brief, a, muse, a lawyer's musings on religion and the meaning of life. And I put this booklet out there and I set it in the reception at the Albany office and the city office. And I've just run out of booklets because I see clients wander in and take it. And I have another notebook on my desk. And every time I see someone take it, like for example, I'll go and meet a new client and I'll come out into the, the wedding room and the other day I was watching one of my clients, a new person I'd never, a new client I'd never met before, and he was reading it. And I went through my mind, I wonder what he's thinking. He's probably picking up all the spelling mistakes and all the grammar. Should I instruct this lawyer? What terrible, oh my gosh, it's terrible. But I have a notebook on my desk and I write down their name in that notebook. And you just talked about the church directory this morning here at, here at Summit. That notebook is my church directory. So all the clients that I've written over the, over, over the last few months in that little notebook I have, God, would you use that little booklet to, to be a blessing to them, to sow a seed into their life? They're not clients, they're congregation members, because the world is my parish. I'm their pastor now. How I act and how I treat, how I serve them as a lawyer is important. I have clients that come in and want me to act in a way which is extremely unchristian. I say, actually, that's not how I act as a lawyer. You've got the wrong lawyer. There's, guys, there's other guys down the road. I don't act like that. So everything about our work has to be about Christ. And then more than that, imagine if we started saying, you know, hey, I want to share something of, of the, the gospel story with you or something of my faith, something of my faith journey. And so one day I tried to get hold of my mortgage broker and I made a phone call to somebody else. They both had the same name. But for the purpose of the Privacy Act Principle 6, I won't use his name. Um, and as he got on the phone, he said, Simon, I can't believe you've called me. He's, he was a client of mine a few months prior. I actually really want to come and see you tomorrow. And I said, it's, it's urgent. Okay, I said, that's fine, come and see me. He came in, self-made man, multi-millionaire, kind of very, very wealthy. And he came in to see me, but this time he had no hair, bald, and a scar down the back of his head. And I said to him, what happened? He said, I was running home the other night. I collapsed, and they've still got five brain tumors. And um, here's an Iron Man, extremely fit, you know, just ripped body. And he said, Simon, I came to see you because I know you're a Christian, and I used to have faith, but my faith has been pushed to one side, and I want to get my faith journey back on track again. So over the next few months, I met with him on a regular basis, and we had Bible studies together over lunch, and I just discipled him. One day, I didn't hear from him again, and I got a call from his partner, who's not a Christian. She said, Simon, um, I just want to say that the cancer's, cancer has really riddled his body now, and he's in hospice, but he wants to see you. I said, oh, I'm so glad you made, you know, because I've been texting him and trying to get hold of him. So I went, I'll never forget the day, I went to the hospice, and I got told by the doctor at that time that, you know, even though he pretty much lost all, all his functionality, he could still hear me, apparently. And so I prayed for him, and I just released his spirit into eternity. And he said to his, his partner, two things. I want Simon to lead his funeral and preach the gospel and to have Hillsong music at his funeral. And um, he'd kind of got on back into, the, back into Hillsong watching Shine TV because that's really all he could do every day as the cancer kind of took over. And I went to his funeral, and I led his funeral, and I had all these Iron Man clubs from all over Auckland kind of packed out this, this funeral venue. He had a lot of friends. 
And I got a whole bunch of non-Christians up there to share scriptures. Psalm 23 and John 14, all the famous scriptures for funerals. And, and I thought, God, I'm, that will always be a defining moment in my life. Just, just, you know, and, and you might say to me, well, it's your personality, Simon. You're an evangelist. That's wrong. The only difference between me and you is expectation. You can go into your workplace tomorrow and say, God, give me opportunities to reach out and to minister to people, to not see them as customers, but as congregation members. I, you could be a priest tomorrow at your workplace. We are being equipped here this morning to be priests tomorrow. Eugene Peterson, in his brilliant book, Pastor, it's a personal memoir. He writes about growing up working with his dad as a butcher. And he said that his time in the butcher shop was formative for his, his role as he became a pastor and ultimately pastored for 30 years Christ our Redeemer Church. And he said, the butcher shop was my introduction to the world of the congregation. Not just customers coming in to buy meat. People. People who God loves and cares for. People that I could minister to. The people who came into our shop were not just customers. Something else defined them. It always seemed more like a congregation than a store. Imagine if you saw business like that, your work like that. Let me finish on this. God has a ministry through at work, but let me tell you, sometimes work can be very, very challenging. My favorite employee in the Bible is Joseph, and he wasn't actually an employee. He was a slave. I mean, he didn't have a right to a union, no opportunity to take legal advice on his employment agreement. He didn't even have a written employment agreement. I mean, it was migrant exploitation. What happened when his brothers sold Joseph into slavery? But he went and worked in Potiphar's house. And I can't tell you the numbers of times when I've had Christian employees and Christian employers come to see me and say, this workplace is really challenging and really difficult. And I love Joseph because sometimes actually, for a whole bunch of reasons, work can be difficult. And I go back to Joseph and I think about his faithful service in Potiphar's house. And sometimes, you know, sometimes work can feel like you're serving in Potiphar's house. It's actually really challenging. And then people make false complaints against you, like Potiphar's wife the sexual harassment claim. And I thought, you know, God, it's amazing what God did in Potiphar's house because Genesis 39 two says the Lord blessed Joseph and helped him succeed even in Potiphar's house. Like you might work for a large corporate and think, man, my current team situation, my current environment, this is really difficult. Can I say that God can bless you and show you favor even in Potiphar's house? God is with you even in Potiphar's house. I was in court the other day, well, a few months ago, and it was going pear-shaped. And um, it was becoming difficult with this particular witness. And I remember that afternoon we had the Christian Lawyers Conference. And by the time I got to the Christian Lawyers Conference, I felt totally strung out. And I stood up to, to kind of MC. And at that moment, I said to the Christian Lawyers in the, in the room, I said, I felt God say to me, just a sense, if you like, a sense of God's presence, that God said to me, Simon, I'm with you right here in the courtroom today. I'm right here, Simon. I haven't left you. And that God was just as much in the courtroom as he was when I was at the Christian Lawyers Conference, you know, later that afternoon. And I want to say this morning, like, you, you know, maybe you're in a, a boardroom type situation. Maybe you're a doctor in the hospital. 
Maybe you're serving a customer who's becoming really difficult and challenging to deal with. God is with us in all of those places. God can show us his favor and blessing if we say, God, this is, this is not just a job. This is a holy calling, and I invite you to be part of this. Give me wisdom, Lord, in how to deal with this situation. Let me finish with a story. I'll just get the... Um, were you going to come up and sing a song to finish up? That would be great. I've got a photo of the Sistine Chapel. It's the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, and I love this. Pope Sixtus commissioned Michelangelo to do this work. What a great, it was a great work. And Michelangelo, it was the year 1506, and Michelangelo was actually very discouraged about what he was doing. For four years, he would lay on scaffolding and just kind of painstakingly work along trying to paint this beautiful, it's um, nine scenes from the book of Genesis, and I'm sure some of you, you know, may have had the, the privilege of actually standing there and looking up at this beautiful ceiling. Four years, painstaking work. 1506, Pope Sixtus said Michelangelo, and he was so discouraged that he wrote a letter to his friend Giovanni. Excuse the old English, but this is what he wrote. I've already grown a goiter from this torture. He did not like his work. Swollen up here like a cat from Lombardy. My stomach is squashed under my chin. My beard is pointing at heaven. My brain feels like it's crushed in a casket. My breast twists like a harpy's. My brush above me all the time dribbles the paint, so my face makes a fine floor for droppings. My haunches are grinding into my guts. My poor bottom strains to work as a counterweight. Every gesture I make is blind and aimless. My skin hangs loose below me. My spine is all knotted from folding over itself. I'm bent taut as a Syrian bow. My painting is dead. Defend it for me, Giovanni. Protect my honor. I am not in the right place. I am not a painter. And I don't think anyone who was, would go into the, to the Sistine Chapel and look up at the ceiling and just the beauty and the marvellous work that it really is could actually come to the same conclusion that Michelangelo did that day. But someday, some days we get really discouraged at work. And if I was there in 1506, I, I was thinking about what I would do. I would have walked into the Sistine Chapel and I would have looked up at Michelangelo, up there on the scaffolding, and said, Michelangelo, come down from the scaffolding. Come down from the scaffolding. Come down to the floor and let's look up and see the big picture again. Let's see the big picture of the beauty of what God is doing through your work. And I want to encourage and finish up this morning by saying, if you feel discouraged at work now or feel like you, you want to give up or just, it's, it's challenging, can I encourage you to put down the brush, to get off the scaffolding, to move away from the detail and see afresh the big picture? I hope that what I've shared this morning has encouraged you to see the big picture again. God is with you at work. God is working through you at work. And God has a wonderful ministry through what you're doing in the workplace, serving people and even being able to be a witness for him at work. Let's pray. I just thank you for everyone here, Lord, all my friends here this morning. And I just thank you, Lord, that um, you call us to work. It's not a necessary evil. And that through our faithful service at our vocation, Lord, you, you meet the needs of human beings and, and human life can flourish. And help us to, I guess, just to recapture that sense again, Lord, that we don't just have a job, we have a holy calling. Father, I pray that you would embed these principles into our hearts and into our minds. Lord, for friends here this morning who feel discouraged, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would just come alongside them and, and just encourage them, Lord. 
with the words from your scriptures this morning through your word today. Lord, give us fresh vision, Lord, a fresh sense of you at work with us at our jobs. We just bless you and praise you. many words and to be quite honest no one listens to me at home so I started writing um, books and um, I've written a couple one's called Love Mondays and it's um, basically it's it can be used as a devotional or as a small group resource it's got six weeks um, you can use it as a six week kind of small group guide now now the elders have purchased some books off me which is fantastic and um, but if you want to get a book and you're me you're like me and you kind of live in a cashless society just write your name down at the back there there's a sheet um, and, um, and and then I'll just send you the details and you can there's $7 each to help me cover costs I've actually sold a lot of these books because I preach at various churches around which I which I thoroughly enjoy and um, I've had a couple of clients come to me with these books who are people in churches that I've never I haven't you know met um, I hope it's an encouragement the $7 just helps me it's a breakfast size book by the way it's designed to eat over breakfast um, read over breakfast sorry you can eat it too but you know, as you make your big special berry banana smoothie or you get out your cereal or you bacon eggs, like it's, it's designed for that. I was going to write it as a PDF, but I thought it's actually quite good to have something in your hand. And I hope it's actually a blessing and an encouragement for people. Um, and this other one, which is the one I talked about, is In Brief. I wrote this really because there's a lot of books that are apolo- like a, about, um, that really kind of defend the faith in the marketplace. But I wanted to write a book from a lawyer's perspective that wasn't about the evidence that it wasn't about kind of evidence that demands a verdict, kind of the Josh McDowell style of writing. I just wanted to write a sh- uh, bit of a, a humble story, hopefully, that kind of is reflective, that journeys with some of these, ref- uh, and reflects on some of these big questions that people ask about faith, and ask about life, and also ask a big, the big questions about suffering, Old Testament. Um, and so this in brief has been um, something that I give out to people and so, so maybe you're like, talking to someone at work and you think um, I want to be able to give them something feel free to have a look at this book and um, I hope you're um, yeah, blessing that's fabulous hey thank you Simon hey uh, we're going to sing a couple of songs which are really songs of commitment so can we stand together uh, and I love a couple of lines in this next song that says you gave your life for me so I will live my life for you and thank you Simon that includes Mondays and so um, let's sing together let's worship together and let's commit our lives once again to God so that we can live out our faith on Monday mornings too